This is Speaker for the Living, a podcast where we explore human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. My name is Seth Dare. I'm here with JJ Jenflone, and this is our first podcast of 2019. The world didn't end. We all didn't die. We're here. Woo! To talk about slavery and human trafficking. It is also National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, so signed by President Trump on December 31st for the month of January. And it means nothing, but hey, now we have a month. Good job, us. We do have a month, and we've talked about the Trafficking Victims Protection Act and how it expired and how it continued to be expired for a year. Mm-hmm. Which was really disconcerting and discouraging, even after contacting media outlets via tip lines, and still nothing. Nothing. No one was talking about it. I don't know if it's. I mean, I think the TVPA is a great acronym. I think mm-hmm. it rolls off the tongue beautifully. Uh, but yeah, no one seemed to really be talking about the fact that our legal protections for victims of human trafficking just went away for almost a calendar year. Most notably, the financing yeah, that, that goes was big with the Trafficking Victims Protection Act lapsed, which affected organizations. But uh, rumor has it that uh, some anti-trafficking organizations met with Paul Ryan, and uh, before he left, that he was among the people who helped get this done because these laws were all introduced in 2017. And then Congress didn't do, do- much. After- some of them passed either the House or the Senate. But there was no reconciliation until December when uh, the two laws that I'm going to start talking about passed. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the others passed uh, early January. Now, the fact that we actually had four separate bills pass, I had to look and see, is this correct? Yeah. And I'm kind of shocked that we had four separate bills. Yeah, and there's... The in particular the two that I'm going to talk about, it, it makes more sense that they would be mixed together, mm-hmm. perhaps a little bit more. Uh, one of the ones I'm talking about is the reauthorization of the 2017 uh, TVPA, but I'm also going to talk about a, a brand new uh, initiative called the Frederick Douglass and Trafficking Victims, which is an interesting choice. We're gonna it, right. we're gonna get into it. Don't you don't you all worry. So you have that to look forward to mm-hmm. in the latter half of this podcast. Oh, now so first. Exciting. There were two statements by President Trump on this. One of them was one that he may not have wrote that somebody signed, which is common with Mm -hmm. presidents. Quote, this is an urgent humanitarian issue. My administration is committed to leveraging every resources we have to confront this threat, to support the victims and survivors, and to hold traffickers accountable for their heinous crimes. Also on January 9th, at the signing ceremony for S1862, one of the ones JJ will be talking about, we had ad-lib remarks by President Trump. Which are always intriguing. They can be. And we're not going to get into uh, the parsing of that, but I am going to quote one section. My administration has made the fight against human trafficking one of the highest priorities. Today's bill marks the fourth robust piece of bipartisan legislation. And it is bipartisan, I have to tell you. The Democrats have been great. That I've signed in just the last weeks. We have a couple of others here that are already signed, having to do with the same situation. Little different, but all related. And it's just over the last couple of weeks that we've signed this. It's been a very strong priority 
but it's not easy getting everyone together. So I don't know if our president truly believes what he's saying. He might. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But if this were a priority of the Trump administration, the TVPA and its funding would not have lapsed for a year. So it is just categorically not true that this is a priority of the, of the Trump administration based on their actions. Yeah, and I think I think Seth and I, you know, me in particular, I make a lot of really mean, snarky comments, have made sort of our feelings about the Trump administration as a net whole pretty clear. But this actually has this is nothing to do with sort of me disliking Trump as a as a public figure or or even sort of disparaging his position or his administration as a presidency. This is that legitimately we had law in place that provided funding for victims of one of the most heinous acts that can happen to a human individual in the modern world and our political sort of elites allowed those that to lapse which then meant that victims didn't get services they deserve survivors didn't have access to money and services researchers didn't have access to money and services and that is i think like unconscionable mm-hmm. right First of all, Congress dropped the ball. Yeah, big time. Now, having said that... Huge time. Having said that, the White House has influence on this process. If Mm -hmm. they wanted to prioritize this, Donald Trump could have prioritized this. He didn't. And I've seen no evidence that he did any wrangling or made any effort to pass these bills. Now... I have said, and it is notable that Ivanka at least cares about the issue and has uh, got together at least one meeting with anti-trafficking organizations and Donald Trump. And even though I'm not an Ivanka fan, like I'm glad she cares about it or mm-hmm. says she cares about it. And and some action and was so taken. We actually saw something happen. So so that's good. I, I imagine our president knows a little more about trafficking because his daughter is concerned about it and ultimately i'm thankful regardless that he signed the bills i mean he yeah could he choose not to so yeah I'm, I'm i'm happy now but i'm not happy that we have to cover four in one day because <laughs> they all happened in a glut right and uh, we are still in the midst of a partial government shutdown as mm-hmm. of today but you know, that's mostly what we're going to say about the White House there. Uh, there were a few statements made upon signing these that come from the president's office that have some reservations to certain mm-hmm. things, which kind of reminded me of how when the U.S. signs treaty that we have reservations. Yeah, we pull back quite a bit. And uh, wh- what that means is that Yes, we sign it, but we're we're going to interpret certain things a certain way, or we're not going to do certain things that we've signed on to. All right. So the first one, S-1311, the Abolish Human Trafficking Act of 2017, introduced by John Cornyn, Senator John Cornyn, on June 7th, 2017, became public law on December 21st, 2018. I am going to uh, read through different highlights. Uh, there's a, a lot in all of these laws, so 
In section two, it uh, preserves the Domestic Trafficking Victims Fund and appropriates money for it. That's the important part of that section. Woo! In section three, uh, mandatory restitution for victims of commercial sexual exploitation. Uh, there isn't restitution often enough for trafficking victims. And just because they're saying that it's it, it's mandated, it doesn't mean that that actually will happen because a lot of times it's it's getting what they would call like blood from a stone. There's there's not restitution to be had, but at least to know that that's an option available for survivors mm-hmm. is quite nice. Right. It directs the defendant to pay the victim as determined by the court. So the court has to determine mm-hmm. it. And the defendant has to pay the greater of the gross income or value to the defendant of the victim's services. Yeah. So what you should have been paid or what you should have earned if you mm-hmm. if you were in a sort of legitimate job being paid fairly as opposed to being mm-hmm. trafficked. So in Section 5, Victim Protection Training for the Department of Homeland Security. Victim protection, victim screening, it's another thing where it just doesn't happen often enough. And it's something that needs to be prioritized in order to happen. So it's part of this law. Part of what this addresses is that uh, victims of sex or labor trafficking, and it says sex or labor trafficking, uh, often engage in criminal acts as a direct result of being trafficked. And as such, and so it says, affirmative measures should be taken to avoid arresting, charging, or prosecuting such individuals for any offense that is the direct result of their victimization. Now, JJ, this is a concern of yours. Yeah. Like this- a strong concern. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can you elaborate more on that? Yeah. So this is something that comes up. I, we've talked about it before here on, on the show, and we've talked about Safe Harbor, but this is sort of a perpetual bone that I'm gnawing on, which is when you're a victim of trafficking, labor or, or sex trafficking, you are compelled to do things that maybe you wouldn't do if you had complete and utter free choice of the will. So in a sex trafficking example, oftentimes that's literally just participating in prostitution, maybe say street prostitution, getting picked up by the police, being charged with prostitution. It's a crime in the United States uh, to sell erotic services. And so you're, you're charged for a crime uh, and you can go to jail. You know, you get fined, you, you might be on probation. There's a lot of things going on there. And maybe you don't tell uh, law enforcement or even if you're assigned an attorney or a court-appointed attorney or or really anyone that you meet along the way that you've been trafficked because of some of the psychological and physical coercion things Seth and I have talked about before. And a labor trafficking end, this can be things like, well, maybe you've been made to be the lookout for a drug gang. And so you've been been picked up in sort of a a narcotics-related sting. Or you can be made to participate. Uh, we've, we don't think we've talked about it really on the show in, in a lot of detail. We may have mentioned it in our long ago one on door to door magazine sellers, but sometimes too, like we'll, though people will be trafficked to commit crimes. So you'll have burglary gangs that are, that are set up by traffickers where generally younger people are made to go commit robberies. And so then you get arrested for being a burglar for committing a crime you're charged with that crime. You go to jail for that crime. But you wouldn't have done that crime had you not been forced to do it by your trafficker. And so the idea behind these sorts of laws is that, well, no, you don't get charged then for crimes that you were forced to commit. 
as a sort of victim of trafficking. And if you were charged for those crimes, then those crimes are expunged from your record. So you don't have, you know, sort of felonies on your record when you're trying to do things like look for jobs or mm-hmm. get housing. If you were assigned fines for that were associated with your crimes, that those are also then expunged and, and taken care of. And so that's a really big thing for me because I hate the idea of someone who's already been, been victimized by sort of this big system of inequality that allows human mm-hmm. trafficking to happen. The thought that then they're like re-victimized again by the state who mm-hmm. thinks it's doing the right thing and isn't actually helping them, that to me, then that just tells a trafficking victim like, well, no, no one cares about you. No one's paying attention to you. You're you're being attacked from two ends, from like the private and the public sector. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is so great that it's not it's being addressed, right? And here's the thing, like especially with sex trafficking, like sex yeah. trafficking often involves prostitution. Yeah, that's that's like the prostitution, main thing. right? But prostitution is illegal. Like mm-hmm. prostitution is in most states. An illegal act. Yeah. So this thing that is so central to the anti-trafficking narrative that people care about of people being forced into some form of sex slavery involves that person committing an illegal act. Yeah. And so that's why when we talk, too, about people who who engage in erotic service provision by choice, like, we acknowledge that depending on the type of service they're providing, they can be committing an illegal act if if they're exploited. They can be still committing an illegal act. But if you've been trafficked, an illegal act has been done to you. And in the mm-hmm. process of that illegal act being done to you, you may also then be participating in a crime. Right. And and to sex trafficking, it's often central. Like, it, it often yeah. is a crime. It's the big period. part of the narrative. And if we care about sex trafficking, mm-hmm. which most people do that do, and we care about sex trafficking victims then we don't want them to be charged with crimes when they are being forced into some form of commercial sex. Yeah. And if and if you don't quite get this narrative that we're, we're trying to explain to you or, or see how this could be harmful, I highly – stop the podcast right now. Stop it. And go listen to our podcast where we interview Wendy Barnes, who is a, an author and a survivor and an educator, and listen to her story. And then after you've listened to her story and hopefully bought her book or sent her money and been like, yes, thank you, excellent, follow her on Twitter, come back, follow Seth and I on Twitter, and then start the podcast again and continue this podcast that you're listening to right now. And that is why we are concerned that upon signing this, that the presidential statement said, and I quote, the act, however, raises a constitutional concern Section 5 of the Act requires the Department of Homeland Security to take affirmative measures to avoid arresting, charging, or prosecuting human trafficking victims for any offense that is a direct result of their victimization, end quote. My administration will interpret this provision consistent with the prosecutorial discretion of the executive branch and the president's constitutional responsibility to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. Really? Yeah. That's not what the just angry noises, angry wall, angry noises, angry walrus noises. Like, well, this this administration already takes a very prosecutorial view of Mm -hmm. you know you have bad people, and 
we need to keep bad people out and etc you know while that while they're cutting countering violent extremism funding but that's another topic all entirely whereas here's something where it's like we need to watch to make sure that we're looking for victims that we're not just arresting everybody who's caught in say a prostitution sting like we should look to see were they being forced were they being coerced like what what is happening here is this a simple narrative and we need some training so that we know what to look for Mm mm-hmm and it's it's not saying that you can't arrest people for engaging in prostitution. It's saying once you have done an arrest or once you have picked people up before charges are filed, do a little bit of investigation. Or if charges have been filed and you realize charges have been filed in error, correct that problem. That's that's what this sort of thing in like safe harbor legislation is looking for. So to me, that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what it's asking to do. When we talk about a lot of raid and rescue organizations or when we talked about like our Super Bowl episode, a big thing is is that, you know, coming in and just doing sort of raids on brothels, raids of street prostitution, raids of like escorts on Backpage and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then saying, OK, well, all those women were trafficked and we saved them. Mm-hmm. Well, n- n- no, not necessarily. I mean, that might be true, but it also is likely to not be true. And so we need to address that. Also, again, this is all language. And I'll talk about this more when I get to sort of the two little sad laws that I covered. But mm-hmm. we'll, uh, this is language that very clearly is positioning victims as female and overwhelmingly mm-hmm. sex trafficking victims. Mm-hmm. When we know for a fact... Lots of male victims and lots more in labor trafficking than sex trafficking. So, but these are all just things that like anger me and keep me up at night. All right. So the second part of that section, I talked about affirmative measures. Mm-hmm. And the second part of that is a victim screening protocol. And uh, this is supposed to implement a screening protocol for use during all anti-trafficking law enforcement operations in which DHS is involved. So more specific screening protocols and mandatory training. So that's great. Like everything in law enforcement is easier said than done. Like yeah. uh, when, you know, screening at the border, like there's there's a lot that needs to be looked at. And, and they're not always, everyone has the training. And they're chronically underfunded as is and understaffed. But even just to have it moved up in the priority and have mm-hmm. it be law, that. That's a good sign. That is a good sign, actually. Uh, Section 7, holistic training for federal law enforcement officers and prosecutors and uh, to try to develop curriculum and have a more comprehensive approach. Like, all right, good direction. Uh, Section 9 talks briefly about improving the national strategy to combat human trafficking. There is one of those. Section 10 is a specialized human trafficking training and technical assistance for service providers. Uh, who all can be a service provider, JJ? Well, that's going to be, that's a wide sort of swath. So that's social workers. So you have your social workers yourself, mm-hmm. and those are people who work in schools, out of schools, mm-hmm. private contract- contractors with the state, people who were working in jails, people who are working, and, and prisons as well, mm-hmm. actually, but sort of people who are doing intake first responders so this can then be people who are working say for the county as you know ambulance drivers 911 operators things of that nature so really just anyone who's having direct contact with the public and a sort of law enforcement first responder 
associated way. And I think, too, particularly when I say social worker, I think people think of, like, one particular type of, like, that a social worker is the person who processes, like, the children and youth form, and that's it. When in reality, there's tons of different social workers and caseworkers mm-hmm. assigned to different people. Some are counselors. Some are concerned with getting you direct services. Like, they're the ones that are there to make sure that, you know, if you need rent aid, you have it. Mm-hmm. That if you need medical care, you have it. And then there are other ones that are there in much more of a just, like, purely paperwork sort of scenario where you call and can get, you know, advice and assistance on a variety of things. So it's a it's a very big group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's really striking here and they use the word striking, (laughs) is they strike out applying that to just law enforcement and give it to service providers. So it's like we're going to do training for a bunch of people. And they go beyond state and local government to some of the ones that JJ just mentioned. Well, and it can be people who work for NGOs too, homeless shelters, nurses, doctors. Well, it even specifies federally recognized Indian tribal government. Which uh, is great. Institutions of higher learning. So so that's good because we need more, we've said it, we need more than just law enforcement. Law enforcement is is key and necessary (laughs) to this fight. But they can't do it alone. But I will say, too, though, with service providers is that even though they specify it doesn't have to be a government employee and it doesn't necessarily have to be a first responder, I would say that anecdotally, almost everyone we know of isn't it overlaps in some way, shape, or form with that. Either mm-hmm. they're a first responder, they're, they're a member of government, or uh, religious entities, that they're, they're working with a religious or, or nonprofit group. And so generally, like, just those three circles tend to overlap. But maybe actually what this will do then will introduce, though, new blood into, you know, people who do sort of human trafficking-related services. Because if you can actually get education and funding, maybe mm-hmm. someone who otherwise didn't know about it will mm-hmm. now know. Yeah, so uh, in continuing, this provides technical assistance, develop and distribute materials, provide training at relevant conferences, so some good stuff there. Section 11, enhanced penalties for human trafficking, child exploitation, and repeat offenders. Which, good. Yes. I'm down. Very Old Testament about (laughs) trafficking, though, I'll be honest. Justice! Section 15, they are starting to have human trafficking justice coordinators. So the uh, Attorney General, so designate in each federal judicial district not less than one assistant U.S. Attorney to serve as the human trafficking coordinator for that district. They will implement the strategy, they'll be involved in cases, they'll do public outreach, ensure the collection of data, which is great, always use more data. There's also going to be a Department of Justice coordinator, which will coordinate efforts within the DOJ. The only thing that I'm a little concerned with that is they don't talk about specific budgets that they're providing for that. And Mm -hmm. so I am a little worried that it's going to be someone who, like, congratulations, you are the coordinator for this. You are also the coordinator for 18 other departments. Please enjoy your budget of $32 and some juicy fruit. Like, I, that... Appropriations is important. That's a big part of our shutdown now, both in, you know, whether there's a wall or not, like, you need money, but, but also in terms of what departments are doing that are involved in the shutdown like if they don't have funding then they can't do their things or you might have tsa agents who are like oh how how hard do we want to work and all that sort of thing 
and I don't want to make light of that. It's uh, people are making their own complicated decisions, and um, I imagine if they're working without pay, they're hoping that they'll be back to work soon. I can tell you as a grad student who often works without pay, it sucks. Don't do it. Mm. <laughs> I, highly, I don't highly recommend it. And uh, several agencies within our government, including our State Department, are understaffed. They don't have all of their positions filled, like in terms of key positions. So who knows what it all means, but it sounds good to have coordinators and, and uh, maybe we'll have them in the future. In Section 19, they say they're going to end government partnerships with the commercial sex industry. Okay. Which includes adult entertainment. So is that no more taking money from porn? I like or know. or conglomerates that may also own a porn studio. So if there's a lobbyist that gets some of their money, say from like web hosting. So operation, participation, partnership, whatever those legally mean. And in section twenty, understanding the effects of severe forms of trafficking in persons. I'm excited about this. Mm-hmm. So uh, NIJ, which. Uh, regularly does grants for lots of reasons Mm -hmm. and the Centers for Disease Control are uh, going to conduct a study on the short-term and long-term physical and psychological effects. I know. When I saw that, I knew you were going to freak out about it. The most effective types of services for individuals. That's great. That is awesome. This is, I think, the first time that they've acknowledged psychological effects, haven't they? Like directly in a funding statement like this that I can remember. I'm not saying, you know, don't quote me on it. I'm not used to seeing it, but the fact that it's listing both and I applied for an NIJ grant. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't get it, but I'm familiar with the process and I've seen some of their trafficking uh, grants offered and mm-hmm. like they're 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 for real it's, they actually yeah, give out money they give out money this year they'll so yeah like, this will likely happen so that that's exciting uh, section 22 talks about grant accountability and uh, audit requirements so you know that's that's good we want people to be accountable and spend anti-trafficking money well and then section 23 is the hero act improvements which is the Homeland Security Act of 2002, the HERO Act. So this is adding to the act, and it is creating a human exploitation rescue operation child rescue corps program, the purpose of which is to recruit, train, equip, and employ members of the armed forces on active duty and wounded, ill, and injured veterans to combat and prevent child exploitation, including in investigative intelligence, analyst, inspection, and forensic positions, or any other positions determined appropriately by the employing agency. Or another way to say it is it sounds a lot like Operation Underground Railroad Yeah. operated by the government. Done. Where, where they go and hire vets and they go and save kids and take pictures that are very white saviorish and i don't want to minimize what they potentially do like if they're legitimately saving people or getting if they're getting people out of bad situations who don't want to be in those situations great they don't provide all of their data Mm -hmm. so you don't always know what's going on which there are good reasons to not provide all your data but their marketing turns me off yeah the they're they're pretty heavy on on the militarized white savior sort of and but one of the other issues that too that has popped up before is that there have been and i'll happily link you guys to them so you can look themselves but some some complaints 
that as a raid and rescue organization that sometimes they they pull largely adult women out of consensual sex work and then away from their ability to generate an income and are not really given much choice so this is this is sort of just an issue with with some human trafficking organizations as a whole but what are you going to do yeah but this one says it's focused on child which yeah i mean but that's that's a very clear 18, cut 18 or under 18 but to me i think that's a that's a much more clear cut version then because the other one just targets mm-hmm. people in sex work so, so i mean obviously child and adult it's it's a very different thing mm-hmm. whereas you know if you're rescuing a child you're rescuing a child because no one a child can't consent to being an erotic service provider mm-hmm. all right so that was one law Whee! next one is s1312 the trafficking victims protection act of 2017 introduced by senator chuck grassley on june 7 2017 became public law on december 21st 2018 section 201 injunctive relief it's where the attorney general can bring a civil action in a district court so a civil remedy rather than just a criminal remedy where appropriate section 202 is improving support for missing and exploited children which is an existing ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Do you know much about that? I I just know that that it overlaps with trafficking, obviously, mm-hmm. but that that was a separate criminal, I guess, well, anti-criminal law mm-hmm. that has been present for quite a while, actually, in the U.S. But it does make sense mm-hmm. to to combine them. However, we do know that most child trafficking that happens in the United States happens between family members and beloved uh, members of the community trafficking a child generally within the community itself. So oftentimes it's not that the child goes missing. It's not sort of the narratives that we generally get. However, the Center for Missing and Exploited Children does look at non-U.S. citizens trafficked in country as well from time to time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's good okay. that it's included. And certainly those children are exploited who, who mm-hmm. are listed on that. So... So this is providing technical assistance and support to families, law enforcement, state and local governments, criminal justice system, NGOs, etc., people who work with children. Yeah, and I think maybe the line that I think sometimes people get confused with that is that say someone is, say a child is abducted for sexual purposes by a a pedophile. Mm -hmm. That's not trafficking. That's abduction and like violent sexual assault or abuse that's mm-hmm. that's pedophilia all illegal and all terrible but it's not the terrible form that it takes is not legally human trafficking if however that child is kidnapped or abducted for the sake then of that person gaining sexual satisfaction and or money you know if they're using the child's services to generate you know a profit for themselves then that's human trafficking so Sometimes it's both, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's one over the other. It, it's it's very complicated, but so not every abducted child is abducted for human trafficking. Mm-hmm. All right, Section 301, Extension of Anti-Trafficking Grant Programs, initially implemented in the TVPA of 2000. So they're doing things like striking the words 2014 through 2017 (laughs) and inserting 2018 through uh, 2021. 
that's part of the problem of having this expire for a year. Is that you? Ha- yeah, you have to go through and redo everything. So 2018 is over, as you probably noticed. I can only hope that maybe there's some back grants, but like this is what happens when it expires. And in paragraph one, they allotted 11 million each years 2014, 2017. And now they've raised that to 77 million each for years 2018, 2021. Yes, great. Section 302, implementing a victim-centered approach to human trafficking. This is very similar to the one that I mentioned earlier. This one also mentions affirmative measures to avoid arresting, charging, and prosecuting. President Trump's statement also takes issue with it in this bill. This also mentions victim screening like the other bill did and says that the attorney general shall compile and disseminate to all grantees who are awarded grants information about reliable and effective tools for the identification of victims of human trafficking. Section 401 promotes uh, more data collection on human trafficking and they're looking for partially prevalence of human trafficking and they also have the innocence loss national initiative which breaks down into different categories, uh, individuals arrested for uh, recruitment and harboring, and so on and so forth. Section 403 is a human trafficking assessment. Breaks it out into labor trafficking, sex trafficking, and transnational and domestic human trafficking. And again, the fact that it's not only mentioned labor trafficking, but it's differentiating transnational and domestic human trafficking. There, there was somebody or a group of somebodies that like knew their stuff involved mm-hmm. in this, and I am so happy about it. And if and if you're out there listening, and it was you, send us a message. I will send you scotch in the mail <laughs> because you deserve a toast. Section five hundred one, encouraging a victim-centered approach to training of federal law enforcement personnel. Talks about curriculum improvements, advanced training, multidisciplinary. Oh, those are all good. Buzzwords. I was going to say it's hitting all the good words. And then again in section 502, victim screening training. And this is just more specifically requiring individual screening of adults and children because it doesn't happen enough, like requiring all federal law enforcement officers and relevant department personnel who participate in human trafficking in- investigations to receive training on enforcement of the protocol, etc. And then uh, Section 703 talks about public-private partnerships and the advisory council relating to that. So that sounds like a good thing. We need Mm -hmm. public-private partnerships and uh, to have a council and have different groups talk about it. You know, it's a good additional task force to have. So those are my two laws. And now I'm going to hand it over, literally. Handing it to me. Handing it, well, gesturing to my computer screen as opposed to your computer screen. But yes, handing it off to me. So I'm going to start off with the bill. It's got a title that's awful. Uh, H.R. 2200, Frederick Douglass Tracking Victims Prevention and Protection Reauthorization Act 2018. They did Frederick Douglass dirty. Mm. Don't do that. Don't. Just stop it. Stop. Stop it. I, he doesn't, I'm, look, I haven't talked to him personally. I'm not uh, clairvoyant. But Mr. Frederick Douglass, who is a fantastic speaker for abolition, I think would not be okay 
with a bill that covers so little. It was introduced yeah. in uh, April, um, April 27, 2017. So, and so then it passed on uh, January 8th of 2019. So this is something that sat, this is a law that sat for a long time waiting to get processed, which is another reason why I say that they did the Honorable Frederick Douglass. They did him dirty. Uh, and it was sponsored by Representative Christopher H. Smith, who is a Republican from New Jersey. Now, the I'm I'm gonna kind of group the this bill. It, it had a lot going on with it, but sort of the the big broad strokes right off the bat was this idea, as Seth mentioned, and it came up in his educational agencies and educational training. So it authorized educational agencies to establish programs to educate children, specifically children, on the dangers of severe forms of trafficking in persons. And I just want you to take a minute and try to picture what that kindergarten class looks like. And just hold it in your minds because we're going to come back to it at the end. But for the moment, I'm just going to move on and talk about some of the other training that they're doing. So they're doing uh, training for diplomatic and or consular posts where employees will then will be trained in identifying human trafficking and also will then be designated to receive information from any person who is a victim of a severe form of trafficking in persons while in the United States. That to me is very strange language and a strange way to break it down but what i presume that they're taking is sort of a position that was already present from the trafficking in persons office which is having a person who is there to collect data on trafficking in persons that was occurring in country and instead establishing establishing a diplomatic post or a consular post that's dedicated to collecting u.s data i hope this is, you know, fingers crossed for, for how that's work, working. Uh, trainings for the Department of Health and Human Services to sort of identify uh, human trafficking victims. The one that I really thought was great is that airlines that contract with the federal government, there are actually a lot of airlines that contract with the federal government, have to provide personnel training in recognizing human trafficking incidents. There's been a number, I think, of viral media posts that have gone out in the last year or two about flight attendants or people working in the airline industry recognizing victims of human trafficking and sort of stopping trafficking as it's happening. And so I think this is actually great now that maybe we might, we're starting to maybe roll out, which I would hope would eventually be a airline-wide program. I would be hoping that airlines that don't contract with the U.S. government, I mean, granted, we are in a government shutdown, so eventually once that's over, that other airlines that contract with the, with the government will maybe roll out similar Pro, uh, projects. Uh, the Federal Acquisition Institute curricula for the acquisition workforce will include a course on the law relating to human trafficking and government contracting. I did not know what the Federal Acquisition Institute was. Have you ever heard of that, Seth? The FAI? No. Uh, the, it's basically a industry within an industry, but it's responsible for hiring when, to work in, within the federal government for like administrative positions. So again, we just have another person who's getting educated, well, persons rather, getting educated about human trafficking. That uh, Department of Justice uh, law enforcement grants should be used and can be used to designate at least one prosecutor for cases of severe forms of trafficking in persons and also for educating then of that prosecutor. So if there's not prosecutors available, like we talked about very briefly and the laws that Seth covered, you want to establish prosecutors, but you might not have one. If this is the case, you know, give some education. 
and finally for there to be appropriation so for for agencies to be able to take money from other agencies for anti-trafficking programs and entities and for U.S. Customs and Border Protection to do anti-trafficking training for both themselves and for other airline and airport personnel, particularly as related to customs. So people who are doing a lot of traveling back and forth on the border, that's being then provided for them. So really, this does actually focus a lot on education primarily and then the funding of education. It does involve, I think, a little bit of overlap with employees, so one, employees getting the training, employees being physically present to not really be service providers in this sense, but to be aware and to acknowledge human trafficking, almost to be sort of first responders on the scene. But there was a sort of a little bit more overlap too in terms of employee designation. And one program, well, actually two programs I thought were quite interesting, that the Department of Health and Human Services may carry out, which I looked into this, so this is a program they already have, but it's it's been underfunded and hasn't really been present, a human trafficking victim's reintegration through employment program. So this is actually a, a job and job training program that is then carried out for survivors of human trafficking. And this is great because I think particularly even when we've talked with survivors themselves here on the program or when we've talked about sort of psychological coercion and the history that someone goes through, the trauma, the the separation from some from society, the vulnerabilities that people go through. It, it's very hard as a survivor often to reintegrate to your community to find a way to support yourself so that there's actually going to then be a program that provides job training and job placement for these for these folks is great. And the second one being the Department of Justice Victim Services, that those grants can be used to provide trauma-informed care or long-term housing but for only two particular groups. One, youth transitioning from foster care and women or girls in underserved populations. I'm going to talk about the second group first. So the women or girls in uh, underserved populations, that's phenomenal. We really do need more long-term housing, more sort of intersectional care for women and girls, especially from, from underserved populations. Great. But what about the men and boys? that are also victims? Why are they not being provided for? We know that that's actually an even more underserved community in terms of trafficking survivors and victims. Why are they not being represented? But then sliding back to the first one, youth transitioning from foster care, that's actually amazing because we talked about this when we talked about sort of our the, the issue of homelessness, people experiencing homelessness and trafficking that vulnerability overlap is that this happens to a lot of youth who are transitioning out of foster care to Mm -hmm. being completely independent happens at the age of 18 which to me doesn't very few people are ready to live on their own at 18 and also have the financial means to do so with absolutely no outside support yeah one of the organizations that uh, i know of in fort collins the matthews house that that's been their sweet spot for a long time is just realizing that even in a town like Fort Collins where there are a lot of services that there was a gap there because they didn't have the life skills or maybe they mm-hmm. never had a truly responsible caring adult in their life to, who could just be patient with them and, and just be there. Like the fact that there were mentors who would volunteer with the organization without being paid, that was just to some of the mind boggling. And uh, yeah, there, there's plenty of people who need help both, 
financially or just life in general, decision making. Well, it's also too though, like if you're 18, imagine trying to find a, a place that will rent to you mm-hmm. at the age of 18, applying to college by yourself or a trade school by yourself if you're choosing to go like an education route, trying to find a car, trying to get financing. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's there's a lot of major things that often require someone who just is older mm-hmm. to be present in your life, you know, to have a guarantor on your apartment, which you you may not have. And then also to have someone just financial stability wise to, mm-hmm. to be able to hang on to. I am I just turned 30 this year and I it still takes me quite a while to figure out sometimes how to navigate, you know, my health insurance portal. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that, you know, 18 on on my own. Right. It or or filing taxes for the first time. Which I think I just did for the first time unassisted like 2 years ago. I you know, it's just it's a lot. So the fact that that funding is being provided is something that I would I I love to see attached to 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 anti-trafficking methods because I think so much what we see is solutions after the fact you know what can we do to save people quote unquote what can we do what services can we offer survivors and we're starting to see now included in a lot of these initiatives is funding to prevent people from getting trafficked Mm -hmm. which is great and you know definitely a space that i want us to as a field i think we need to focus more on what do we do to prevent people from being victimized in the first place there are then two things related sort of to funding that i think are amazing uh, the first just being that now there's supposed to be transparency in the Agency for International Development when it comes to their anti-trafficking expenditures. Good. For a long time, there hasn't been a lot of data on what the U.S. is spending and then what U.S. agencies are spending on anti-human trafficking efforts. Specifically, where is the money going? Right back to that original question I asked. You know, Is it going to salaries? Is it going to speaker talks? Is it going to fundraising efforts? Is it getting appropriated by other departments? Is it going to after the fact, you know, survivor support, which is great, but if it's meant to be preventative, it shouldn't be prescriptive. And then the second, which I think is just like super exciting for me, is that civil damages, so Seth specifically talked in his about this idea of victims getting restitution from their traffickers, which is great, but actually we didn't have a legal protection for people who are getting that restitution to have it not be taxed. So this actually allows for civil damages awarded and action brought for slavery or trafficking in persons to be excluded from your gross income. So essentially, if if you're paid restitution or if you are actually given uh, civil damages, say, by the state, you know, if you have to engage in suing or doing something like that, that it will not count into your gross income for your taxes, but then also for your benefits. So just like I talked about this idea of reintegration through employment program that is being run by the Department of Health and Human Services, just because you maybe get a lump sum of of restitution, ideally, of things that you've missed or or, or money that you missed making while you were trafficked, doesn't mean necessarily that everything's fine and dandy and you're now financially secure. So you may need to, you know, be getting government assistance in some way, shape, or form, whether it's medical services, tuition waivers, housing assistance, things like that. And so this won't count against you when it comes to your ability to access benefits, which is great because, again, we don't want people re-victimized by the state. And then finally, the last big one. Yay, good job, Frederick Douglass trafficking victims. 
Prevention Act is that the United States Advisory Council on Human Trafficking Council, the longer the name is, the more effective it is, <laughs> uh, is extended to September 30th of 2020. So that to me at least is good. It, it tells me that there there was a fear that maybe things would move very slowly, if at all. And so there needs to be some sort of provision moving forward. This would have meant a lot more to me if this had passed in 2017 when it was initially, you know, uh, put forth because then we would have a number of years uh, to breathe as opposed to, oh, you know, one. But at least it's present and it's there. But you knew there was going to be a but. Remember at the beginning when I told you to consider that children and the dangers of severe forms of trafficking in persons? And I was like, remember that because it's going to come up again. Well, now it's coming up again. As soon as I get my text back. There we go. Yes, so it's coming back up again. And here's why. So... When they're talking about grants to assist in the recognition of trafficking, when you actually look at the text of the bill itself, one of the things they list is something that's called a high-intensity child sex trafficking area. Okay. I was, yeah, the face that Seth just made is the face that I made. Uh, and if you've ever seen a blobfish, that is the face we're both making. The term, I'm quoting here, the term high-intensity child sex trafficking area means a metropolitan area designated by the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation as having a high rate of children involved in sex trafficking. I've never heard of this before in my life, that the FBI has a high-intensity child sex trafficking area designation in major city. Have you, like, I've never, nope. I've never, over seven years... <laughs> Of living and breathing this pretty much 24-7. I can't even watch Law & Order anymore in a joyous way. And I've, you know, never come across this term. It's it's very strange. Right. Anyone. Professor Destray. Leanne. Anyone. Some, somebody. Somebody out there listening. Explain to me where this term came from and also was the person high. I need to know. I'm so confused. And if this is real, I need to know more. It's not... In in the, the text itself, it's not linked to anything. A lot of the other legal definitions, for example, right underneath of it, they go into, into detail about what labor trafficking, what the term means, is linked to, you know, U.S. law or, or to a particular instance of this term being used before in a law. This one's not. It's just sort of hanging out on its own. And when I Googled it, I could find nothing. So hmm. I'm just, I'm intrigued. Uh, it, it does talk about how that this... Uh, protection of, of children in these high, I'm just going to say one more time, high intensity child sex trafficking areas uh, will will be provided by educating school staff to recognize and respond to signs of labor trafficking and sex trafficking. That's great. Why is it a high intensity sex trafficking area and not a high in intensity labor and sex trafficking area? Because I actually could see a high intensity labor trafficking area if you're dealing with a school that's in a very impoverished area where a lot of kids have to perhaps work or there's not a lot of parental oversight you know what i mean but like this, it, mm, mm. and then to provide age-appropriate information to students on how to avoid becoming victims of labor trafficking and sex trafficking i would be happier if that also included and ways to report if they are current victims or survivors 
you know, it, it's disgusting to think about, but you could have kids in a class who are survivors at seven, you know, or that are dealing mm-hmm. with parents who are survivors or the children themselves are not trafficked, but their parents are trafficked. But I do like that it is talking about labor and sex trafficking, that it's talking about services that are available, and that it is essentially making people who are uh, mandated reporters aware of trafficking as another issue to report on. And if you're not familiar with a mandated reporter, it's anyone legally who generally works with children, or actually the general population as a whole, is mandated to report uh, wrongdoing. For example, I am a mandated reporter because I am I'm a TA and I teach at, at the university, uh, and I'm actually a licensed, I'm bonded babysitter. So if if I see something, I am actually legally required and can be held liable if I don't report what I see, especially if it's causing harm to a child. But if I imagine that someone is causing harm to themselves or others, I am also mandated to report. So with the exception of this very strange language that I can't help going back mm. to, I'm, I'm actually overall quite happy with the Frederick Douglass Trafficking Victims Prevention Act. Uh, but the amount of time it took for something that honestly is a very simple, I mean, it is allocating a lot of money and like time and training, uh, but that overall comparatively to to the two that Seth talked about really didn't have as much ground to cover. I'm so surprised that it took about three years almost to pass through. And that takes me then to my my second and, and our final law for the night, uh, which is the S.1862 Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act of 2017, which finally passed (laughs) again on the 9th of january 2019 so right after the previous one so when we said that they were a glut of these there really were they were introduced at very different times but they all rolled in one right after one another and this one was submitted all the way back in september of 2017 the end of i mean close to the end of september and and then just sat and, and moved around very slowly between the Senate and the House and then finally the President. And this one was sponsored uh, by Senator Bob Corker, who is a Republican from Tennessee. Right. And it's also notable that he headed up the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Yeah. And uh, I've met two of their staffers when I was in D.C. a year or so ago. And uh, they were instrumental in passing the and Modern Slavery Initiative Act, which allocated money to organizations based on meeting a deadline, or a, not a deadline, a uh, baseline, and so on and so forth. So they really care about it. And yeah. uh, when we did our podcast about Ashton Kutcher. Yes, and Thorne, his organization. Thorne Thorn. and Humanity United. I think it was Humanity United. Yeah, it was. That was part of their committee. They were presenting to their committee. And you had people like Marco Rubio who talked about things like the integrity of the trafficking report and that we don't want it to be a political instrument. Now, it's been a political instrument since the beginning, but uh, there, there were things like that. And Marco Rubio was also part of that committee. So anything that Corker is involved with, like with, with this bill and trafficking, yeah, like 
it's something he cares about and it's something that his committee cares about. Yeah, and this, so this one, despite the fact, okay, so here is all of my anger because Seth knows that I can never be happy with anything. <laughs> I am fundamentally incapable of being completely and utterly happy. I am angry about two things. One, that this bill took so long to pass. This law took so long to pass. And that it had to be a reauthorization because we didn't have something in the meantime, that we didn't have a stopgap for this. Other than that, I am pleased as punch with this. So I will start off with the the simple, quote-unquote, issue with this, which is one, the bill sets forth child soldier protection provisions. Mwah! fantastic this is something that people in the human trafficking field have been have been talking about and complaining about with the tvpa for quite some time particularly how the tvpa is reflected in the tip report the u.s tip report the trafficking in persons report which has been sort of a sort of misunderstanding about child soldiers and the reality that child soldiers are trafficking victims that has been acknowledged but i don't think a really deep dive into into the realities about the how intricate and complicated and contextual that situation is. For example, in the past we have had, you know, uh, the U.S. send out and prosecute child soldiers who who may have started being a child soldier at the age of seven and then quit when they turned nineteen. You know, they were charged for that year of adult majority that they were child soldiers, not acknowledging sort of the long history of trauma and everything that sort of led to that. So, so happy about the child soldier language there being included. I'm not going to talk about that too much, though, because I think the real meat of what this 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 did is, is, is so important and is going to be so interesting going forward. I'm so excited, actually, for things no one has ever said. <laughs> I'm so excited for the tip report next year <laughs> to come out because... It amends the TVPA of 2000 to modify the criteria for determining whether countries are meeting the minimum standards for the elimination of human trafficking and what actions to be taken about the countries that fail to meet those standards. So the U.S. ranks countries on a, on a tier system, tier one, tier two, tier three, about how they're meeting the minimum standards for, for eliminating human trafficking and how they're dealing with human trafficking in their own country. Tier one is what everyone wants. It's good. It doesn't mean that actually the trafficking has been eradicated in your country. It just means that you're you're handling the problem well. Tier two means that you are you're you're not doing great. It's it's a little concerning, but you have perhaps like a clear and present way to fix it. Then there's the tier two watch list. This means that you're in tier two, but you are at you're at, you are at risk of sliding down into tier th three territory. And then once you are in tier three, you are supposed to have government sanctions imposed upon you. However, the U.S. has decided in the past to design like uh, mitigating circumstances to tier three countries and decided not to go against sanctions. For example, Haiti. They've often pulled back from establishing sanctions to uh, because of the economic downturn following natural disasters there and like if for example a government is collapsing it's sort of understood that perhaps the state will not be great at defending against human trafficking but i think anyone who works in this field or kind of plays around with it the, the long time the tip has been sort of a blame and shame report it's it's been if you're an ally of the u.s you're doing well 
if you're a little concerning of the U.S., you're doing sort of meh, and if we don't like you as a country, if you're fighting against American hegemony, you're you're a tier three, and and you're going to get sanctions. And then the countries that perhaps should be sanctioned, that people who work in this field identify as being major, major sort of human rights violators when it comes to human trafficking, <clears throat> China, China, cough, China, cough, etc. Uh, if they're an ally of the U.S., maybe don't get sanctioned. And so the fact that there's now a listing happening, if we need to modify this, and that the U.S. Agency for International Development is supposed to incorporate child protection and anti-trafficking strategies into the development strategy for each country that ends up on the special watch list is exceptionally helpful. And if you look at the actual text itself, what they're looking for now for countries is that when when countries are saying that they are making strides against anti-human trafficking, that they actually have to take concrete actions. And I'm going to quote directly here. The term concrete actions means actions that demonstrate increased efforts by the government of a country to meet the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking, including any of the following. Enforcement actions taken, investigations actively underway, prosecutions conducted, convictions attained, training provided, programs and partnerships actively underway. Efforts to prevent severe forms of trafficking, including programs to reduce the vulnerability of particularly vulnerable populations, involving survivors of trafficking and community engagement and policymaking, engagement with foreign migrants, ending recruitment fees, and other such members. I'm going to pause there for a minute because hallelujah, these are all amazing, amazing things that are fantastic preventative forms. To go back to quoting, Victim services offered, including immigration services and restitution. And the amount of money the government has committed to the actions described in paragraphs A through H. So these were all, they're, they're listed as, as not numbers but letters because this is a government document, uh, needs to be stated. This is amazing for people who do sort of scholarship into this because the idea is now we can get data from this it's not enough now to say hey it's okay like we provided some trainings and we had some prosecutions no give me numbers now will governments lie sure <laughs> but when do they not but the idea is that i think we're going to see a lot more countries hit tier two and tier three that that maybe have or, or certainly tier two watch list that maybe have skittered by i'm very hopeful this is the one time i'm optimistic also, when they're talking about the reporting, they actually have a stipulation in there that the information has to be credible, which goes into the lying thing. And what they define credible information is uh, reports by Department of State, reports of other federal agencies, including Department of Labor's list of goods produced by child labor or forced labor and list of products produced by forced labor or indentured child labor. Say that eight times fast. And documentation provided by the foreign country, which includes relevant laws, regulations, and policies adopted or modified, and an official record of enforcement actions taken, judicial proceedings, trainings conducted, consultations conducted, programs and partnerships launched and service provided, materials developed by civil society organizations. And this is the big one I'm quoting from directly. I'm so excited to see included. Uh, and, and the next three, actually, all I'm really excited to see included. Materials uh, and information from survivors of human trafficking, vulnerable persons, and whistleblowers. So a we now have a direct reporting mechanism. 
all relevant media and academic reports that in light of reason and common sense are worthy of belief. And we've long gotten reports from sort of people working on NGOs and CSOs and, and, and academic institutions on the ground that now we can have access to. And information developed by multilateral institutions. So I'm super happy with this that sort of we have now maybe all of this access to information and that we're going to push, you know, way more for project development, you know, procurement of information, you know, disbursement of funds and, and evaluation policies that actually seem like they have some teeth because they're very detailed in a way that, you know, if you look at the TVPA from uh, 2000, doesn't have nearly sort of this level of specificity. So I'm really, really happy about this. So the only thing that I'm mad about is the fact that it took this long to happen, to get passed, and that we had to essentially wait a year with nothing to get this to happen. And the very real fear that I have that in 2020, it'll be gone because it won't be reauthorized and then we'll be floating around with nothing. Having said that, the president also had something to say in a statement. Oh, no. Where where he said, Today I have signed into law S-1862, the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act. Several positions of the act, including sections 6, 7, and 8, purport to dictate the position of the United States in foreign affairs and to direct certain diplomatic actions. My administration will treat these provisions consistent with the president's exclusive constitutional authority as the sole representative of the United States in foreign affairs. Okay, what are sections 6, 7, and 8? Yep. Section 6 is actions against governments failing to meet minimum standards. So there goes the sanctions. Section 7, communication with governments of countries designated as Tier 2 watchlist countries on the Trafficking in Persons Report. There went our data. And Section 8, United States Support for Integration of Anti-Trafficking Intervention in Multilateral Development Banks. There went our funding for the protection and prevention issues. Seth, why'd you take away my optimism with the reality of Trump? All right, so, all right. Um, well, the 2017 Authorization Act, uh, Reauthorization Act, is a big old... Well, Congress still passed it, but the, the dark humor here is... Again, and that's why I mentioned Rubio earlier. Yeah, is you have somebody who rightly complained about the integrity of the act. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't like that he specifically called out Obama when Bush can equally be called out. But both the Bush administration and the Obama administration made decisions for political expediency when it served their foreign policy. So now we pass a law that explicitly says, "Don't do that." Like more more so than any of the other TVPAs, and then the Trump administration says, "Yeah, well, you know, yep. three of these big sections that try to address that, we're going to consider those kind of optional," which really means that nothing really you changed. Got, you, you got me a pet alligator, but you took all his teeth away, so he's not very frightening, and also he's now upset. <laughs> I'm going to do the rest of this podcast from underneath the desk on the ground. Give me a minute, Seth. Hold on, I need to slither. I need to slither in my sadness to the ground. But anyway, that means we don't really have much reason to think, at least at this time, that the White House is going to change the way it handles the TVPA. That if it's in their interest, it sounds like they're still going to change certain rankings for foreign policy purposes. 
and thus the integrity of the TVPA is not what Marco Rubio hoped for. But we are relieved that the TVPA was reauthorized. We are happy that it's more than one law. I wasn't expecting multiple laws to pass. I was hoping one would pass. And so in the midst of like lots of noise from Washington mm-hmm. and news and all this other stuff, like Congress still passes laws and the president signs laws that don't get fanfare. And this hasn't got that much coverage, sadly, but this is great. Like this is some shining beacon of law that we can look at and say something good happened. <laughs> yeah. Something to hold on to and something that relates to our field and that, I mean, since trafficking is one of those areas where there's so much bipartisan and so much agreement that it's bad and we should do something about it. And it gets annoying and discouraging when it's all talk and there's no funding. And you take also away all the good things. So now we have more funding and uh, some more timelines that are extended and some new laws and positions that can hopefully make a difference. So we'll see, but uh, we hope that was helpful. I mean, I'm just full of sadness, but again, when is that new? Those are the, the four TVPAs. Woo! Next time, we'll do something that's a little less broad in scope and (laughs) happy national preventing human trafficking month it means nothing (laughs) bye everybody bye this has been speaker for the living for extended notes and sources visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com